We turn back to Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21 this morning. Luke 12, 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care to be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Father, I pray that we would respond to Christ's teaching that we're going to consider today, that we would not be fools, that the end of our life would not be, the term to describe us would not be fool. God, I pray that you give us perspective, help us Listen to our Creator. Let us heed the warning. Father, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This text reveals to us a real situation that took place as Jesus was teaching the crowds, there was a man in the crowd who was missing an incredible opportunity. The Son of God was teaching in his midst. Christ, teaching so rich that no one had ever heard anything like this man. But this man was preoccupied. This man was thinking about money. Bitterness was rising up in his heart against his own brother. So that while he was there, he was in church, you could say, he was listening to a sermon, his heart was elsewhere. His desires were elsewhere. And as he looked at the powerful man in front of him, and as he was so self-absorbed, he was so sure that he was right, he need not get advice from Christ. He commands Christ to tell his brother to give him the inheritance that he deserves. Someone 
in the right place, but with the wrong heart. And Christ tells a parable. The parables most often seem to warn people who think they're in the right place and in the right heart. It seems to warn them ahead of time to expose that their confidence maybe ought not be there for them. Help them see ahead of time that if they don't repent, if they don't turn, there's destruction awaiting them, even though it seems like everything's okay. He's already shared the parable of the soils. Mark's version of this parable, after, after he shares it with the disciples and they don't understand it, he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The parable of the soils, in a sense, encompasses If you don't understand that, you're not going to get the point of the rest of them. All four people represented in the parable of the soils heard the Word of God. Three responses were wrong. One was right. Two of the responses, people were sure that they were going to be okay. And Jesus revealed they weren't. The parable of the ten virgins. Five of them have oils in their lamps. Five don't. They're both waiting for the bridegroom. They're all virgins. They all think they're getting in. But Jesus reveals that five will not. Jesus in His love warns people ahead of time to not be so sure of their religious their religious life, that that'll get them to heaven. At the beginning of chapter 12, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees who looked religious on the outsides. They did all the religious rituals. They were a part of the biggest church in the land. But it was all about them. Their doing works to be good enough to get to heaven. And here's a man who, although Christ is before him, has his heart set on riches. In in Mark 4, the parable of the soils, the second soil is the seed that falls on the rocky ground where the seed can have no root. And here's what Jesus says. These are those who immediately receive it with joy when they hear the Word of God. They receive it with joy. And if anyone watched, they would say, look at that Christian who received the Word of God with joy. But here's what He says about them. But they have no root in themselves, but they endure for a little while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on the count of the Word, immediately they will fall away. This is what Jesus has just taught in Luke 12. That those who are ashamed of Him on earth are ashamed of Him and His Word. God will be ashamed of them. 
There will be those who will receive the word until it costs them something. Then they'll deny the faith. And then the third soil. He says, and others are the ones sown among the thorns. These are the seeds among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, listen to this, and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So these are people who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. They're people who listen to the Word of God, who say they receive the Word of God, but their hearts really are set on the things of this world so that they don't desire the Word of God. They don't desire God more than His creation. They would rather worship the creation than the Creator. But they're people who receive the Word of God. This is the type of person that Jesus is dealing with. The third soil that gets choked out by the deceitfulness of riches. And the way to misuse the parables is to assume you're the one that doesn't have blinders on. The reason why Jesus tells these is so that we would look into our hearts, that we would ask God to reveal where our heart lies. Daryl Bach writes about this passage. He says, when possessions are the goal, people become pawns. In fact, a, a reversal of the created order occurs as those made in the image of the living God come to serve dead non-images. It is the inversion of the created order that makes greed such a notorious sin. It is even called idolatry in some texts. Jesus is striking at the heart of the fall of man, flipping the creation order on its head. If we went back to Genesis 1 and read in verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness, who's our, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity right there in chapter 1. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing on the earth. And then in verse 29, God said, Behold, I've given them every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. God creates man and He says, You're created in My image and you're going to rule over the creation. But when sin entered the world, the creation became the rulers. And the image bearers became slaves. They're enslaved to that which they love. I had a friend whose dad 
died of lung cancer in his 50s. Uh, He smoked a lot. And in the last days of his life, when he was in a coma, his family would talk to him and speak with him, and he couldn't respond. He could only do one thing. While he was laying there, he would go like this. Bring his fingers to his mouth. And I don't know the story of how he began smoking, but I'm pretty sure that at one point in time he was a young man with newfound freedom to be able to do what I want. I'm a ruler. I can do what I want. But as he begins to worship the creation, he no longer is free, but he's enslaved to it. This is the danger of greed. This is the danger of loving money and possessions more than God. They take control of our lives. We no longer are fulfilling what God created us to do. To rule over this creation so that it would flourish and so that people would have good and that God would be glorified through their lives. Daryl Bach goes on to write this, many of us end up serving our dollars or pounds and bowing before their demands rather than relating sensitively to people. Think about it. This man is fighting with his brother over money. And Daryl Bach says, when you serve dollars, you'll bow down before their demands rather than relating to the sensitivity of people. In the process, relationships can be damaged and marriages can be destroyed. False worship involves bowing before something that is not worthy of honor and that cannot deliver life's true meaning. The pursuit of wealth is the pursuit of false religion. It's idolatry. That's why in Colossians 3.5, Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. Because at the heart of covetousness is the lie that God isn't good and He's holding out on you. And although you know God says, don't go after this, I deserve it. It's about me. I need it. I'm going to worship it. I'm going to give my life for it. It's false worship. Ultimately, there are only two types of people. Those who desire God and His Word more than earthly things or vice versa. Those desires will be proven in our life. It'll be proven in your pocketbook It'll be proven in your time. You will either prove to be slaves of righteousness or slaves of sin. 
You might say, well, everyone struggles with covetousness. You're right. But at the end of your life, one person's life will be marked as a struggle against covetousness and a love for God and a desire to put to death that in their life. And another one may be an example of all sorts of religious activity, but a heart that was not loving God and holding Him supreme. So, the command of the sermon that I think comes, flows out of this text is this, don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. And we all have an opportunity not to be a fool because Jesus is warning us ahead of time. He's telling us a parable. He's giving us godly perspective so that the deceitfulness of sin and of wealth doesn't trick us. So look at point one in your notes. Don't be a fool and believe that self-centeredness leads to happiness. Look at verse 16. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. And he told them, he speaks to the crowd after he gets asked by this gentleman to tell his brother to give an inheritance. Jesus says, this is not why I'm here. I didn't come to tell your brother to give you an inheritance. He came for a much more noble purpose than that. But he tells this parable. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. So he's a farmer. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. He says my four times in verses 17 through 19, and I occurs eight times. This man in Jesus' parable is incredibly self-centered. Incredibly self-focused. He can only see through the glasses of himself. The world revolves around him. Everything revolves around him. Other people do not come upon his radar according to this parable. God is not considered in this man's mind as he considers his circumstances. His decision to solve his problem by building larger barns is not the problem. It's not the main point that Jesus is seeking to condemn. Is this not a reasonable thing that a farmer could do? You don't have enough storage for your grain bins, so you put up more. Is that inherently evil? That could be a very prudent thing to do. 
That's not the problem. The problem is in what's revealed in the passions of this man's heart. He seeks to do all that he does for his own glory and for his own good. And he forgets God and he forgets others. The man that Jesus just spoke to is not considering his relationship with his brother. It's all about himself, all about his possessions. In Acts 20.35, Paul says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Maybe one of the hardest statements in the Bible to believe. It's more blessed to give than receive. Paul says, I always seek to help the weak because I remember the words of the Lord. To be blessed is to be happy. There is more happiness in giving than receiving. The question is, is do you believe it? Do you believe that's true? A fool does not. A fool seeks to store for himself. He doesn't seek to consider the weak to share with the needs of others. Second, don't be a fool and believe that possessions and temporary pleasures are supremely valuable. The priorities of this man are off. When this man's life is in the balance at the end of his life, what is going to give weight to his life? Will it be the amount of grain that is in his bins? Is that what will be valuable in the end as he face, faces eternity? When God addresses the man as a fool, He indicates the man's blindness in judging life's priorities. How are you at that? How are you at prioritizing what is important in life? The man's soul is being weighed in the balance. On the scale, uh, the possession, are on that scale, the possessions the man has and the social resume he's built registers no weight whatsoever. He cannot take these things with him to the bar of divine justice. Only his naked character will be on the balance. The man whose life is possessions makes himself a paperweight in final judgment. The one who defines life in terms of possessions comes up empty when the time comes to assess whether eternal life will be gained. Now as Christians, we don't get into heaven because we're good enough. But as Christians, our hearts are changed. We are saved from ourselves. We can begin to kill selfishness in our hearts so that when we stand on that day, the only reason we get into heaven is because of Christ's righteousness gifted to the believer who trusted in Christ. But the evidence that their faith was real 
will be the killing of selfishness in their own life. The being set free from slavery to possessions will be the evidence that a person really believed and the Holy Spirit changed their life and that will be proof that the grounds of their salvation is Christ alone. In Philippians 3.18, we read about those who value temporary pleasures. Here's what Paul writes, For many of whom I've often told you, and I'll tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. These are people who value only the very next lust of their heart. They're enslaved to it. In Proverbs 23.4, the book of wisdom, we read this, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist, to not do it. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. And when that happens to you, you would be shown a fool if that's what you've lived your life for. I can guarantee you whatever wealth you have will fly away. It'll either fly away within your lifetime or as soon as you die, it will not go with you. It'll be gone and that's one of the points Jesus is making. So how are your priorities? Don't be a fool and believe that your possessions are yours. Isn't it easy to believe this? That our possessions are ours? How often have you heard someone going to retirement and someone says, well now they get to enjoy the fruits of their retirement. They deserve it. They worked for it. They should get to. It's the mindset of, you did it. You put the effort in. It's yours. Now you should flourish in your retirement. This was the mindset of this man in Jesus' parable. This man ignores the fact that he's a steward. This man believes that all that he has are his he calls them my crops, my barns, my grain, and my goods. And I got them by myself. That's what this man believes. How often do I believe that my stuff is my stuff? I'm believing the lie when I think that. One commentator says there's no hint of awareness of stewardship or responsibility to others as a result of his fortune. There is only self-interest. You see, our culture will not warn you against this. This is normal. This is the idea of conservatism too, right? Get your own. And if you get it, do what you want with it. You're not going to be accountable as long as you worked for it. 
It's yours. What is stewardship? If we're to realize that we're stewards, what is it? It's the job of supervising or take of care of something, something like an organization or property that is not yours. We're to be a steward of God's things. All this teaching, uh, Robert Stein says, all this teaching suggests the importance of proper priorities regarding possessions. They are a stewardship, not to be hoarded selfishly, but to be used to the benefit of those around us. Jesus is not saying possessions are bad, but that the selfish pursuit of them is pointless. When the creation is inverted, the value of possessions is distorted. Those who climb over people or ignore them in pursuit of possessions will come up empty on the day God sorts out their lives. What a tragic misuse of the gift of resources this man had gained. What could have been the opportunity for generosity and blessing, but instead it became a stumbling block to his soul. So I ask you the question, do you really believe that you'll be held accountable as stewards for what you have? Do you really believe it's God's possessions? Or do you believe that you got them by your own strength, in your own wisdom, in your own might, without God's help? Have you forgotten where your wisdom comes from? Have you forgotten where your strength comes from? Where did you learn your work ethic? What sort of privilege did you have that someone could teach you how to attain wealth? Don't be a fool and believe that the future is in your control. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required. I looked up that word in the original. It means to be asked for it back. God said to him, this man who was self-centered, who put his hope in the pleasures of things of this world, who forgot other people, forgot his brother, forgot God, God says, fool, this night your soul is required back from you. God gave it to you. It wasn't, in fact, yours to do with what you wanted. As Christians, we're doubly bought. We're created by God, so we're His. And then when Jesus dies for us, He pays the price so that we're told that we're bought at a price. We're not our own. Christ purchased us. He says, fool, this night your soul is required back of you. The things you, you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with the one who lays up for himself, or lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You're a fool if you believe the future is in your control. 
How do you live your life? How sure are you of tomorrow? How does that affect the way you live today? Do you really believe you got all this time? Like this man believed? This man's life was taken from him in a moment. I think I've shared this story before in the past, but when I was in college, I got to take a class in Chicago called uh, Intro to the City. I got to spend 10 days in Chicago. Uh, I had to go uh, work at homeless shelters. I got to observe different jobs. One of the jobs I wanted to do is I wanted to ride with the Chicago uh, cop. I thought that'd be exciting. That took uh, too long a background check. It wasn't going to be able to work when I called. But they said, if you want excitement, go to Mount Sinai Hospital on a Friday night. What I didn't know is that that hospital is in the middle of one of the worst parts of Chicago. And I foolishly took the L train into that neighborhood, out of the city. I was pretty confident I rode the train for a week going through the safer parts of Chicago. All of a sudden, I'm in this residential slums of Chicago. And I have two blocks to get to the hospital. I'm literally the only white person on the train except for the one girl from our group that also wanted to observe. And people were looking at us like we were fools, and we were. We got off the train, we ran there. We got there, felt like we survived. The doctors revealed to us that we did, that we were very lucky, that we were crazy. They would never ride the train to get there. They ended up paying our taxi way home that night. But I got to follow an emergency room doctor around. They even gave me scrubs and rubber gloves. Couldn't believe they let me do this. But at the end of the night, after a lot of excitement, there's a 19-year-old young man that came in on a stretcher. His clothes were cut off his body. He'd been doing drugs and gotten into a car accident, wrapped his car around a pole. And what I didn't know, what they evidently knew, is that he hadn't been breathing long enough that he was brain dead. They need to try to resuscitate him at least once, so he flatlines in front of me. And they resuscitate him for a little bit, and then they flatline again, and they pronounce his time of death. And the one thing I remember is he had one item of clothing on. He had socks on. And those socks were Hanes socks. They had gray toes and red writing on them. And they were the exact same socks I was wearing. And this young man had a hole in the heel of his sock. And I just thought, this morning, a 19-year-old young man put his socks on. Maybe he thought, I need to get new socks. These socks have holes in them. And not very many hours later, his soul was asked back from him. It was required of him. He had tattoos all over his body of naked women. I'm sure he believed the future was in his control. But I learned an important lesson. 
when I put my socks on in the morning? Do I value the weight of my soul? What am I living for? What ultimately matters? What's going to last? James 4.13, James says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this and that. As it is, you boast in arrogance and all boasting is evil. How often do I boast like this? Our Colossians 4.5, when Paul says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Think about other people. Making the best use of your time let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer each person. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. One of your resources is your time and it's to be used for the good of others. And if you're chasing possessions, you won't take time to talk to the person checking you out. I just heard Paul Tripp talking about uh, after the Twin Towers fell, he talked to a restaurant manager who had most of his employees died. He talked to him a few weeks after it happened. And the guy says, life is unbearable. I manage so many people. And I've been to funeral after funeral after funeral. And I thought they were cooks, and I thought they were janitors, and I thought they were servers. And what I found out, they were daughters, and they were mothers, and they were fathers, and they were sons sent through these. And he goes, and I treated them like they weren't people. When we go after possessions, we forget God, and we forget people. The psalmist says, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely, all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely, man goes about as a shadow. Surely, for nothing they are in turmoil. A man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O oh Lord, for what do I weigh? My hope is in you. We're all stewards. We'll either make our possessions work for eternal purposes or we won't. We'll either reflect God with our possessions or we will reflect our own selfishness and greed. So teach us, O Lord, to number our days. And finally, don't be a fool and believe you'll not give an account to God. This man did not realize he was going to have to give an account. In Luke 6.35, we read, 
but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you'll be called sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you and you'll be like me. This is what I do all the time. I'm feeding everyone on the face of the earth. I'm giving them what they do not deserve. And if you do that, your reward will be great. You will give an account and that account will be awesome for those who realize their life is for God's purposes. You might be saying, how can I be like this? How can I be saved from my own selfishness? Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.14. For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. He says, you want to know how I love? The love of Christ controls me because I concluded that He's died for all men. Anyone that would look to Him for salvation, He died for them. And Paul was a murderer and he realized he's saved in Christ. And he says, you want to know how I do what I do? You want to know how I fight my own selfishness and give my life for the good of others and for God's glory? Is I remember what Christ did for me. And then he says this, there, that Christ has died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all that you might no longer live for yourself, but for the will of God. You see, Jesus didn't just die to take away your sins. That's one of the reasons He died. But in this passage, Paul says, He died to save you from your own selfishness. Paul says, I've concluded this, that He has died for all. Therefore, all have died. So that we, you might no longer live for yourself. Because if you're like me, I look at my selfishness, my self-centeredness, and I say, God, is there any hope? Yes. Jesus not only died to take away your sins, but to give you the Spirit of God so that you can fight the fight of faith and put to death the selfishness and the idolatry in your hearts. And yes, it's a battle. No, it won't be perfect until Christ returns or we go see Him. Have you concluded what Paul's concluded? Do you know that for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son? That whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life? Do you know what Paul knew? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. God gave Jesus and Jesus gave Himself. And Paul says, that's how I give myself. Because I've concluded the Gospel. Do you know the Gospel? Because Jesus is coming. We will face Him. There will be judgment for our life. Hebrews 9.27 says, just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, 
will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those that are eagerly waiting for Him. The only people that will be saved are for those that are eagerly waiting for Him because they know that life with Him is better than any possessions down here on this earth. My prayer is that you're waiting for Him, that you're praying, Lord Jesus, come, that you're living your life in light of eternity. And that your life is not being choked out. That your love for the Word is not being choked out by the deceitfulness of riches. He came the first time to die for sins. He's done that. You're in the time of grace. Anyone here can turn to Him and say, I'm a sinner. I have no hope in and of myself. I need to be forgiven. I believe Jesus came and died on the cross for my sins. That's my only hope. If you'll grab onto Him by faith, you realize He is your only hope, you'll be saved. And you're in grace time. But you could put your socks on tomorrow morning and not be here tomorrow night. Christ could return. He comes a second time. And He doesn't come with second chances. In fact, He comes a second time to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him and to judge those who have decided to worship the creation rather than the Creator. Father, I pray that none of us would be deceived. That all of us would cling to Christ. Lord, we all know that our hearts are prone to wander away from You, the living God. As Christians, our sinful nature pulls us away from You and towards selfishness. Father, I pray that we would be battlers, battling with the Holy Spirit, encouraging each other. Father, help us store up for ourselves treasures in heaven as we use our resources for the good of others and for Your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.